Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This show is, this episode is going to be a lot shorter than the last one. I promise. Okay. Uh, thank you for those who hung in there for that. I know it was a very long episode, an hour and seven minutes or so of me rambling. But I really do appreciate it for those of you who stuck in there. I hope it was informative. And I think I think this show is going to get better as it goes on. I mean, that was my first time. Our show is, is definitely going to morph and change. And I've gotten some awesome feedback already. Um, people saying that I should give my opinions more. And, and uh, you know, bring up some graphics, react to things as well. And I'll definitely be looking to do that in the future. But for this episode, what I'd like to do is take a look at one of the books. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I've been reading uh, four black authors who discuss race. Two conservatives and two liberals. And so, the first book I finished uh, was... Shame, How America's Past Sins Polarized Our Country by Shelby Steele. Shelby Steele is a black man. He was born in the 50s, maybe late 40s, but I'm pretty sure the 50s. He's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution for Stanford University. It's a political think tank. I'm going to read their description of their their, uh, group. So it says that they are a public policy think tank promoting the principles of individual, economic, and political freedom. So that's what they call themselves. So he's a senior fellow there, uh, a very smart guy, and I love this book, and I'd love to go through a few really great quotes that I think are worth thinking about. Especially now, given our climate. So let's jump right into it, okay? Alright, so I love this. Um, I just... I think he presents a lot of interesting questions. That are worth really keeping in your mind and thinking about. So he talks about white guilt. He hates white guilt. And again, this is a black conservative author. Shelby Steele. So he hates white guilt and he thinks that it's foolish, I guess I'd say. So so how he defines white guilt is as, he defines it as the terror of being seen as racist. So, and he goes on to say that this terror and the lust it has inspired in whites to show themselves innocent of racism has spawned a new white paternalism toward minorities since the 1960s that, among other things, has damaged the black family more profoundly than segregation ever did. So that's that's a bold statement right there. So I, you know, it, it's so interesting to me because I do think that there are a lot of white liberals who want to be a white savior, which is kind of funny because liberals, I shouldn't be painting with broad strokes. So some liberals will get very upset about the whole white savior trope that's used in a lot of stories. And, but it's so funny because I look at some of their behavior and the things they say, and and Shelby points these out. I'm not on a first name basis with him. Uh, Mr. Steele points things out. (laughs) 
uh, uh, he points that out that white liberals sometimes the things they say you you kind of go all right are you trying to be every black person's mom or every black person's dad because some of it does seem demeaning almost you know there's this great video that i'll put in the description if you want to check it out uh this guy goes around and he asks white college students what they think of voter id laws and they go oh it's racist it prevents black people from voting they probably and they say things like they probably don't know where their dmv is i don't know i don't think they can figure out you know i don't know that they know how to use the internet i bet they don't have the internet and so, you know, I bet a lot of them don't have their IDs. And then the interviewer goes to Harlem and he asks a bunch of black people, would you, do you think voter ID laws would be racist? Do you have a problem with that? And they're like, no, we, we have our IDs. The DMV is on 23rd and 2nd street. Uh, I could walk there. Like I know where it is. And it's, and they, it's so funny because I, I think that video, although of course it's cherry picked, I'm sure. It does. It does show that there is this. There is this weird desire to. To be, the savior of black people among white liberals, to hold their hand, and guide them through everything, which is weird to me. So that is the first quote we're going to look at there, and I think it's interesting. So this next one. Let me read it. Today, the left and the right don't work within a shared understanding of the national purpose, nor do they seek such an understanding. Rather, each seeks to win out over the other and to define the nation by its own terms. And this is great. And this is part of why these exact sentiments are part of why this show, our show, I think it needs to exist. Uh, it's like we're playing for teams out there when really we should be playing for principles. And the problem is, is that sometimes these, the people that represent our teams, the left and the right, they'll just pick up the principles that people are screaming about. And they don't stick to the core concepts that, that make liberalism great and make conservatism great. They add all this fluff just because people are screaming about it, it seems to me. So, now as we come back into, he brings up this, he says this, When we practice our ideological leaning as if it were a divine right in atavism to be defended at all cost, then we put ourselves on a warlike footing. We feel an impunity toward our opposition, and we grant ourselves a scorched earth license to fight back. They are not the other side of the same coin. They are a different coin altogether, a fundamentally illegitimate and alien force, and we are forgiven our bitterness, our bitterness and contempt for them. And I think that is so true. I don't know what the heck is going on here where, where I, frankly, I see it more when we talk about Trump supporters almost talking about them like they're they are all this fundamentally morally corrupt group and i think that that's silly um you're talking about half the country and depending on how this election goes it might even look like more than half the country we'll see but to think that and we're talking about america where we're not electing a king here 
or a queen. We're not electing somebody with divine power. We're electing somebody who operates in a, in a system of checks and balances. So to, to say, oh my gosh, if we elect Joe Biden, he's going to snatch away all our rights. He's going to take away all of our guns. He's going to He's going to get rid of freedom of speech and start imposing speech laws. We have three branches of government that check and balance each other. So to think that our democracy is at risk because Trump might be elected, you know, and, and as, as, as Mr. Steele is saying, is it's like we consider each other to be playing a different game. We're all playing the same game here. All of our goals are aligned in that we want... America to be good and we want to aspire to be the good we want to eradicate the evils of racism and and things like that but sometimes we act like it's the end of the world if if the other guy wins and I think that's silly uh I think it's a waste of energy I think if you'll look back on your lifetime I think you'd find that Probably nothing much changes in your day-to-day -day life when a new president is elected. Um, anyways, let's go into the next quote. It is likely, for example, that today's racial disparities are due more to dysfunctions within the black community and, I would argue, to liberal social policies that have encouraged us to trade more on our past victimization than to overcome the damage done by that victimization through dint of our own pride and will so this is a common theme throughout this book where he goes on to say you know you can't have a discussion about culture and you can't have a discussion about personal responsibility with people on the left because they view that as putting blame on to people that they consider victims but Mr. Steele kind of believes, it seems, that black people aren't victims. They are powerful people with agency. They have a commanding presence in culture, particularly, and that to consider them victims at all times is to actually take away that piece of them that makes them human, that whole idea that they can have will and power and pride and to do things on their own without a white liberal holding their hands. And I, I think that's very interesting. It's a good idea to explore. Here's the next quote. Without any government grants and in a society that ran the gamut from cool indifference toward us to murderous terrorism against us. Oh, wait. It's a mistake. All right, let's go on to the next quote. And in the white liberal imagination, blacks are only victims. Liberalism expresses its inborn racism in the way it overlooks the fuel. All right, let's go on to the next quote. And in the white liberal imagination, blacks are only victims. Liberalism expresses its inborn racism in the way it overlooks the full human complexity of blacks. The fact that they are more than mere victims in order to distill and harden the idea of their victimization into a currency of liberal power. And this is another big theme of, of his book, that black people are being used as pawns politically, not only by the left, by the right as well, but he emphasizes, of course, the left, where you see that none of their issues really get solved 
they elect Democrats oftentimes, you know, in, in these cities that have a lot of black people, they elect Democrats as mayors in states in governors, um, the city councils. There are actually a good amount of black police chiefs, district attorneys, and yet things don't seem to change. And I, and his point comes out as there isn't actually a desire among the left to help black people. There's a desire to appear as though they are helping black people and to make sure that black people are constantly counting on that help. So, something to think about, right? How, how much of of the liberal, particularly white liberal screaming, how much is it built on the idea that they want to make black people how much of it how much of it is built on a true desire to see that black people are pushed up in the world through their own merit and their power into a place where we think this country is much more equal and how much of it is that they just want to be seen as the good guys i don't know but it's something to mull over for sure all right next quote by this fella. So post-60s liberalism, this liberalism insisted that the impulse to victimize was still an essential feature of the American character. So that, so post-60s liberalism in his mind is just, they still believe that deep within white people is a desire to make the black people are oppressed victims. So, look at this. So, and he, and he talks a lot throughout this book about how, in his mind, liberalism is very fixated on past sins that he considers to have been essentially eradicated. Of course, um, not at an individual level, there are still individual racists, but he thinks in terms of the system that racism has been essentially nullified by all the actions that went on in the 60s during that time. And so he, he makes this bold statement that I, I find interesting. Modern liberalism is grounded in a paradox. It tries to be progressive and forward-looking by fixing its gaze backwards. So that's just, it's something to think about, right? Um, you know, I just saw this, and I might butcher it a little bit, but in 2011, there was X amount of people in America that considered racism to be a huge problem. And by 2017, that number had doubled. Um, I'm not sure what the number is. And don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I've got this right. Uh, but it makes you go, okay, well, do we think that racism and its effect on minorities has doubled between 2011 and 2017? I don't think there's any tangible evidence for claiming that, but it is interesting, right? So what's being brought forward, whatever the news is saying and media and social media has made it so that between 2011 and 2017, 
the number of people who considered racism a big, one of the biggest problems in America doubled. So it's something to think about. You know, do you think that that's warranted? Shelby Steele would argue that it's not. Shelby Steele would argue that liberalism is garnering its power by talking about the past and not actually looking at how things are today and how far we've come and how good things are. That would be his argument. All right. So this is a good quote uh, talking about identity politics. Quote, I have always believed that any attempt to turn race into politics to seek power through race is the beginning of evil. And who could know this better than a black American? So this is something I really like because I don't, I don't believe, again, this is I don't believe, it's personal, it's an opinion. I don't believe identity politics gets us anywhere. I don't, I think it's just another form of tribalism. I think it's a form of tribalism with a lot of sort of pretty decorations on it, so it doesn't look like tribalism. But it seems to me, and I think Shelby Steele as well, that instead of going for a complete erase of racial barriers, trying to tear down the lines that that separate us, what some people on the left have seemed to do now is say, no, no, keep the lines up, keep the walls up. We're all our own, we're all different races, and that's kind of how we should be grouped by by the things that we're born with, not by the things that we can control. But look, I know there's walls up, but let's go ahead and put some flowers on it, and let's just love each other from our own walled area. And I don't know if I'm making sense when I say that, but what I mean is it seems like the focus has gone from let's take race out of issues to let's pump race into every single issue, but let's just love on each other for our our different cultures and races, and let's not try to tear down the walls. Let's just make them prettier. Which I think is foolish, and I think Shelby Steele would think is foolish as well. And, you know, when you play a race game, no matter what way you're going to shape it, you're going to end up with racism, I think. Anyways, let's move on to the next quote. So, he talks about how you can't talk about American exceptionalism anymore. That you're, you seem to be a bigot, uh, that you're not recognizing the sins of America's past and present if you say that America is exceptional. So here's a quote about that. What to make of people who actually cheer at the mention of American exceptionalism? Well, post-1960s liberalism had so won over the culture and become so congealed into the new moral establishment that conservatism, as a politics and philosophy, became a centerpiece in liberalism's iconography of evil. It was demonized and stigmatized as an as an ideology born of nostalgia for America's past evils. Inequality, oppression, exploitation, warmongering, bigotry, repression, and all the rest. Liberalism had won the authority to tell us what things meant and to hold us accountable to those meanings. Conservatism, liberals believed, facilitated America's moral hypocrisy. So there's a lot to unpack there. I honestly didn't have that whole thing highlighted, but I kept reading because I think it's 
I just think it's so interesting. Damn, dang. Trying not to cuss. Then he goes, he talks a lot about this, about how after the 60s, liberalism did win the culture war. They, they found for themselves a place on the high ground and they made themselves the new moral authority over everything. They were able to, in his mind, equate liberalism with the good and conservatism with the bad, essentially. And Shelby Steele would argue that that should be the other way around. But we'll get into, like I said, bigger race issues like, uh, you know, mass incarceration. When I finish The New Jim Crow, I'm about a third of the way through. It is a dense book. Uh, but that is one of the liberal black authors I was I was talking about. And so let, we'll talk more deeper into these individual issues down the line. Right now, this is more of a, a book review. So here's the last quote I have for you today. So this connection of conservatism to America's hypocritical past is the American left's greatest source of authority. However trenchant conservatism may be on the issues, however time-tested and profound its principles, this liberalism always works to smother conservatism's insights with the poetic truth, and he talks about how poetic truth isn't actual truth, with the poetic truth that conservatism is a mere cover for America's characterological evil. This ability to taint conservatism, its principles, policies, and personalities with America's past shames has been, for the left, a seemingly endless font of power. And so, again, this book is Shame, How America's Past Sins Have Polarized Our Country by Shelby Steele. So that last quote there, that kind of ties into what we were just talking about a second ago. I, I notice, I, in my opinion, and I could be wrong here, I notice, in my opinion, and this is anecdotal, but I see, I know a lot of people who I kind of think are lazy when it comes to politics. Not that everybody should be deep into it, but what they do is they just, they go to school and they just kind of generally hear what Shelby Steele talks about, which is this idea that liberalism has some sort of moral high ground. And so they just lump themselves in with that group from a young age. I mean, you know, young people are generally more liberal, and then as people get older, they tend to get more conservative. And I think that's because some of those people, they go, well, you know, I've, I guess I've just sort of been going with what the left mainstream media says and what social media says. And I've just sort of, you know, and I get this and I, I'm not saying it's wrong to be a liberal, right? I'm not trying to say that, but I do think there is a big issue with people who lazily jump to the liberal side because it has in our culture set itself up as the moral authority in this country. Um, at least in terms of pop culture and everything else, social media culture and all that. And that worries me. Uh, and it, as it worries Shelby Steele, uh, 
Because I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that conservatism is always right or that every politician be, could, should be conservative. Uh, I think any good conservative would tell you that you need both sides of the coin to make things work. I think you need liberals for the chaos that they bring, the change, the disrupting change that they can bring, but you need conservatism to make sure that these changes don't cause new evils on their own. And we're at a point right now where I think the left has gone a little bit too far, the mainstream left. And I don't even think, honestly, I don't think the mainstream left that we see on TV and social media actually represents a lot of liberals. I think it's just a small group that have kind of grabbed the microphone. And so I want to say that everything's going to be okay. But I don't know that I believe everything's going to be okay if we can't all kind of realize, hey, we are two sides of the same coin. We all want America to be good. We want it to not sin so much. We disagree on how to get there, but we're both humans. We're all humans. I know it sounds so cliche, but it's it's honestly hard to find people that don't despise the other side, quote unquote. And, uh, well, I think... You, me, our show, I think we're doing the little things we can here and and reading books that might challenge our views. I would definitely recommend this. This is a good book. It's a quick read by a very smart man. I'm not saying he's always right because he's not, um, as most of us are not always right. So my, I guess my call for action for this episode is don't be a part of, don't play for your team. The two-party system shouldn't even be a thing. Our founding fathers, who I think do get more disrespect than they should, and we'll probably do an episode on that too. Try to be unbiased, try to show some facts. Um, They didn't want this to be a a two-party system because they knew what would happen, and they knew this exact type stuff would be going on. Uh, this angry, just bitter, sort of callous misunderstanding of each other. Uh, so I think I think our show, I think together, we're going to help bring down the two-party system, and we're going to we're going to form together a movement based on principles and consistency, not based on popularity and lies, I suppose. All right, so to wrap up, definitely a book worth picking up. It's a quick read, like I said. Uh, I think for a lot of people listening, the ideas might be a little bit radical. They might, You might be thinking, a black person said that about liberals? I thought liberals and black people were on the same team. So, you know, mull these questions over in your brain. Do you just play for a team? Have you actually thought about the liberal agenda and what it's done to black people? Black people have been wary of liberalism 
since as far as I know back Malcolm X who called them foxes right they smiled but their mouth were full of sharp teeth that were going to bite you in the back the second you turned around to trust them anyways and and Shelby Steele goes into this into the fact that liberal policies in his mind seem to be more about making white liberals look good than it actually is about helping black people rise up so that's a it's something to mull over right don't just because you're a default democrat some of you might be don't just be a default anything don't just fall to that side because as shelby Steele puts it they've won the culture war they've become the moral high ground don't just listen to that we are better than that we are free thinking mofos us our show you me we're doing it we are asking big questions we are thinking through our preconceived notions and i think you're going to help me so much i'm hopefully going to help you i think we are going to really grow over the course of this show so again that book was shame how america's past sins have polarized our country by shelby steel a black conservative very smart fella uh not always right of course nobody's always right but yeah so check this out if you got the time think about these quotes that i've read mull them over and let's grow over the next week huh let's grow let's be let's be more nuanced because that's what we are about thank you so much for listening this probably got longer than I wanted it to be, even though I guaranteed it was going to be short. But it is what it is. All right. Peace.